and welcome back to the discussion phase a board gaming podcast where we take a break from playing the games we love to talk about the games we love as always i'm your host matthew i'm brady and today we're going to be talking about the latest the greatest arc nova that's right we finally had a chance to play the number one game on everyone's want to playlist we'll also be reviewing some recent plays that we got in on the dice tower cruise and figuring out what it is about a board game that makes us say count me in so as always stick around and buckle up Matthew, I almost started to lose faith, but our recent Dice Tower cruise just instilled in me that dreams do come true. If you so. speak things, positive things out into the universe enough, maybe it may just happen. Yeah, I was dreaming that we'd have a chance to sit down and play Arc Nova with Tom Vassell, and we got about as close as anyone was going to get. Yeah, we sat down and Tom taught us. We, um, you know, I'm going to say we played a couple rounds with him. He, we played the game. He was sitting there. We were chat. We were chatting it up and having a grand old time. Yeah. So yeah. he he taught us the game. He sat with us for a couple rotations of our turns and stuff. He obviously we got was, to trash David. Um, yeah, we for brought having uh, bad taste in movies. Yeah, because uh, David uh, and his wife they run a they do a podcast called Twenty Six Letters. Uh, Tom Vassell is actually a, a special guest on one of their episodes. And so yeah. uh, they know our friend David. And so we were able to bring him up. Um, and hopefully we're planning on maybe going to Dice Tower East um, this summer. Fingers crossed if everyone can get their schedules. <laughs> because one thing that's been going on this past week that's been absolutely crazy and hectic and everyone's attention has been on it is our homeboy, John. Yep. Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. He finally, he finally got married. There's no turning back. No turning back. Yep. We, he is got married last night. Yeah. Um. So. And they're on their way to Saint Lucia. Saint Lucia. Saint Lucia. So, yeah, super excited for him and his fiance, Caitlin. Wife. His wife, Caitlin. <laughs> I know we got to get used to saying <laughs> John and his wife. Um. Yeah, and now that he's married, John has said multiple times that he's going to have a lot more time. A lot more time to play games after he's yeah, married. So we'll so see. Looking forward to all that. I told him, John, for the first couple of weeks, it's okay if we don't see you. You know, you're going to go on your head honeymoon. When you get back, we're going to help you move into your new place. Yeah. You don't don't feel like there's any pressure to have to hang out with the guys. You got a lot of life transitions going on, but we're excited for him. Yeah. That's what's been going on in our week, our life this past week. And so we didn't have time to uh, get in an episode right after the cruise. Yeah. Cause I don't know about you, Brady. We came in hot from the cruise. It's been a long time like... since I took like a full, like week plus type vacation. Usually maybe three, four days at most, but like this was, a, that was a full week vacation. Yeah. And there's a lot of stuff that was like piled up at work yeah. for me when I got back. Yeah. I got, to see a lot of Matthew during that time. Yeah. Yeah, we got to share Valentine's Day together. <laughs> uh, that was that was really nice. Really special. <laughs> but no, going back, um, one of the things we've been talking about, one of our most anticipated uh, games that has been on both of our lists, uh, going into the Dice Tower Cruise, it was the number one game we wanted to play. We wanted to at least have some kind of an experience with it with Tom uh, Vassal there with the Dice Tower was Art Nova. Um, and we talked about it before, but just kind of a brief overview. This game is set in the theme of kind of like a zoo tycoon, build your own zoo type park. 
Um, and how you do that is everyone has their own player boards. Uh, everyone can play with uh, identical player boards, but then once you get into the game a couple times, you've played it, you, there are a bunch of asymmetrical. They're not extremely asymmetrical, but to enough degree, um, they're asymmetrical player boards. And what you are trying to do is you are trying to play cards uh, into your zoo to gain kind of attraction points or prestige points on different tracks. But the only way you can play these animal cards into your zoo is if one, you have requirements that these cards may have, um, which all cards require some kind of habitat to have previously been built. And then they also may require uh, certain tags or certain other type of animals to be in your park, very similar to uh, terraforming Mars. It has a great action selection system where you have five cards um, in a row and the, and the slots are numbered one through five. And based on where the spot is for that action, one through five is how strong the action is. You take it, it moves down to number one. Everything else moves up. Yeah. And, and so as, it's, a, it's a as, great... a, as a heavier game, that system, that little action selection system, really helps its like approachability and yeah. like breaking down your turn. Because you do have a lot going on, but you can knowing, focus on yeah, those. You can focus and be like, okay, well, this turn, I'm kind of just doing this thing. So, yeah. yeah. And so. Those are really great. Um, it has kind of like global com- competition for different objectives. Um, and so there's, there's as it's been said over and over again, there's nothing extremely new that this game uh, presents, but it brings in a lot of great things from a lot of different games. Um, and it puts into a theme and a package that I absolutely love um, and adore. Of course, we've played it. I've played it three times now. I played it at three, two, and four. Yeah, two, three, and four player counts. So I've played it at... I guess there is there technically solo mode. I think there may be solo oh, mode, but nobody cares for everything that we would be playing. I've played at all those uh, player counts, and it's felt great at every single one. Um, I've won all three. That so did it. <laughs> <laughs> nice that you slid that in. Yeah, I had to slide that in. Um, did you? Did it like blow your mind? Because we had high expectations going into this. So did it like? Did so, it exceed those? Or so the did... first game, I was a little overwhelmed because I wasn't. I wasn't confused as like, what are the rules? I was just like, how do I get this thing going? So the very first game yeah. was very much a learning game. I was literally laying in bed. Alex, who was on the cruise uh, ship with the shout out to Alex, he came and knocked on the door. I thought it was a cleaning lady. Um, <laughs> and apparently these rooms are so yeah, well we had soundproof. To, we had to drag Matthew out of bed every single morning to go play games. At the crack to... of dawn. Yeah. But apparently these rooms were so well. I all I heard it was a knock and I'm just like, I'm asleep and go away. <laughs> and then it kept knocking. And I was like, occupied. <laughs> There's an occupant in the room. And then I was like, okay, I, this person keeps knocking. I got to get up. But apparently Alex was like yelling at me, but I couldn't hear him from the outside in. It's like, Matthew, Tom Vassell is sitting at a table waiting, with Brady waiting for you. I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I got to go. So I just, I literally grabbed anything I could put on my body that would not get me thrown off the ship. I just threw it all on, <laughs> ran downstairs. I was just like, I haven't used the bathroom. I, my eyes haven't opened up, but I'm sitting at this table. And by golly, we are, we are Playing doing this. Dark Nova, yeah. um, Cause what is, and it, it was, it was hard because it was pretty much set up the entire time on the cruise on, on and the it was same table in constant rotation. And it was, so the, it was literally the main table right as soon as you entered into the game library, boom, Art yeah, Nova. Boom, Art Nova. And there was like never a time where it was at it. Yeah. There was yeah. never a time where it was not being played that in, yeah. in the entire week. So we had to wake up at the crack of dawn, run down, find Tom Vassell and get it done. Yeah. And we, we finally, we finally got it done. Yeah. It was, and it was funny too, because before then, uh, you know, we wanted to play some kind of game or taught by one of the, one of the guys there on the dice tower, uh, crew, but several times Brady had gotten rejected 
by several of them by either asking to we either A, or <clears throat> teach or B, play a game with us. And Brady on several times kept getting rejected. We didn't We didn't have to bring that up. Okay. I don't want to was up. really funny. Uh, because you asked Mike Mike Delicio if he wanted to play uh, Sleeping Gods with us, and he kind of ch- yeah. chuckled and laughed at you. And was like, "Why are you asking me that? This is well, like a big no, legacy campaign game." No, he didn't chuckle and laugh at me. He said, "He said I would love to run through the game with you, but it's not necessarily like a sit down in one session." Yeah, sit down in one session, play it. So I was like, "Okay." Um, and I just I moved. I on. mean, I would have liked to at least gotten a feel for what the atmosphere or kind of the feeling of yeah, the yeah, gameplay yeah. at least a little bit kind of run through it um, but it's, it's very hard because everyone that was on the staff there with the dice tower was constantly doing something yeah, they the all thing, have kind of jobs to do and the thing is the game library itself was pretty tiny um, but the thing is you can take games out and you can go another most everywhere else on the ship all, i say 90 percent of anywhere else on the ship you wanted to go you could there were a couple places that were the ship had asked us not to go just for the other guests um, but so they, the staff was spread out all across the boat, kind of keeping check, being, keeping tabs, being there as a resource um, for everybody. So none of them were really actually sitting down and playing as much as, hey, we'll teach you some stuff for some games. Yeah. Tom also graciously taught us uh, Lahav mm-hmm. and Space Space, which yeah. um, I wasn't in on the game of Space Space. Yeah, Space Space was great. That was one on Alex's list. I think he enjoyed it. He might even pick it up. Um, I got destroyed, which might have been part of the reason why I didn't enjoy it. But I maybe I was just so distracted by sitting down with Tom Vassell that. Yeah. Um, and Lahav, we had an interesting time with. This is one that I wanted to learn from Tom because he like it's it's been on his like top five for several years now, and it was interesting. I uh, probably needs, and even Tom himself said. We probably shouldn't play it at four players. Is that what we played it at? We played it at four, four and we also played the short version of the game. We just wanted yeah. to get a feel for it. We weren't so trying we, to go in when we were learning it and just getting a feel. It was a little janky, but towards the end, we I started could to kind click. of yeah. understand why it would be good. And At three and a little bit longer. At three and a longer game, yeah. So, But I enjoyed it for what it was. Yeah, it, but even then, it still wasn't anything that was jumping out at me. It's like, man... This is definitely something worth getting. It's going to be yeah. in your top 25 games but all time. Other than that, we will get into yeah. some... Well, going back to Ark Nova, though, though, we got off track a little bit. So my initial impressions, I've played it three times now, and I absolutely love it. Um, every time I've played, I've played a different strategy, different type of animals, and I feel like the card play and how these cards work in your zoo are so, so creative. One of the things I found out in my second play that I didn't see at all in my first play was... That when you build a habitat, let's say we build this habitat for an elk, um, there are other type of like grazing type animals, like say other deer or moose or something like that, that can actually cohabitate in the same um, enclosure. And so your your first inclination is like, man, there's like seven bonus points if I just clear if I place stuff all over my zoo and get my zoo filled. And so your natural thought is, I got to build my entire zoo, I got to populate everything. But sometimes having smaller are fewer like uh um what it's not what is the word uh, enclosures having few fewer actual enclosures but then having more uh, animals within those smaller enclosures may actually profit you because that's fewer actions that's fewer resources you're having to spend on more and more enclosures and so there was every time i played it there's been new strategies and new ways that these cards combine um and the two main cards that are in the game there are like if you play Terraforming Mars, there's the standard type green cards, but then you have like these kind of 
uh, in Terraform Mars, we call them like the blue cards where they kind of give you persistent bonuses or maybe some in-game scoring or maybe they give you better rewards if you kind of play into certain strategies. And those are free to to play if your action for the like thing with the sponsors is high enough. Um, so there's, I think there is so many, much strategy in the game that we haven't even tapped and I've been loving it more and more every single play. Is this my number one game of all time? Uh, no. I mean, that'd be really hard, uh, it, you know, few games to crack into, but is this, yeah. you asked me, Matthew, is this going to be on my top 50, top 25, top 20? Yeah. Like this is a game that although it's like, man, it does this one particular thing, 10 out of 10, but everything in it is great like everything in it is well integrated it it plays smoothly i mean we played a four-player game in about an hour and 45 minutes um last yeah. time we played and that's with one of the players jacob that was his first time playing it could definitely get a lot faster and i feel i feel similarly where um obviously this was recently tom's number one game of all time coming from out of nowhere um, so our expectations were pretty high, and I wouldn't say it uh, failed to meet those expectations, but I, w- I also wouldn't say that it exceeded them. Yeah, but it's also a game I would say I would I would never say no to playing. Like yeah. it all, everything you're doing in it feels good, it feels enjoyable, and I absolutely adore this theme. I don't have any other game in my collection, well, unless I guess you include Dinosaur Island, yeah, semi like that. But I love zoos, I love animals, I love like the National Geographic, all that stuff. Um, yeah, Ranger the, Rick. When I was growing up and reading those little Ranger Rick comics and stuff, yeah. and doing all the only thing conservation. I would say from uh, like the the theme factor is unfortunately, uh, in my opinion, it took one out of Terraforming Mars book, um, and just had very minimal components. The artwork is good, but it's like still frame. Like actual pictures, I guess. I love um, it. It's it's literally a National Geographic quality yeah. pictures. And Reminds even the me stuff of with, like zoo books. Yeah, or something and like I that. think that's fantastic. Like when I'm playing this, I'm actually looking at this great panda, or I'm looking actually looking at the Siberian yeah. tiger. And that's cool. I'm a problem, but the the stuff surrounding that looks very minimal. The graphic design sort of around the card, but it's know, clean it though. Very, it is clean. And, and, and the practical. iconography is pretty good. Like yeah. after our first game, I haven't really needed to reference back to the rule book yeah. any because it's all very consistent. And the cards do what I love so much about these games with unique cards. Every card is unique, Yeah. Um, but they may have a special ability, but the special ability is limited to what text can be fit on that card. Like yeah. it's not having so to reference So it kind of has like iconography on it, but then also explains a text. what and it I, does. And I love yeah. that. That's the one thing that I hate is like, you know, I've always said it before, I don't want to have to pull out an almanac to decipher every single card. Yeah, we're looking at you, Lorenzo. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the iconography, but the iconography is great uh, for it. Um, and I, yeah, I'm excited to see maybe what some people will be doing like on Etsy with yeah. some upgrade yeah, kits like and stuff. I just, and that's what I'm talking about. When you're building your zoo and you get... You get a new animal. You're super excited about it, and what do you do? You flip, flip over, over and enclosure. Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't to show feel, that's occupied. Yep. Yeah. And so if if you had, and obviously this would be very difficult, and maybe there's probably going to be some aftermarket stuff, but you had a little animal to stick on top of that thing. Well, I've already just, been looking. That would take it to level yeah. eleven, right there. So what some people have done on, I've seen them do on like Etsy, and they post a picture on BoardGameGeek because they they have like these little three D like tokens, kind of like spherical tokens. Uh, that has like the animal types face on it to give it a little bit more life. Obviously, you could buy like a big bucket of very tiny little miniature scale little zoo animals, and you can actually place them on the enclosures. I'm sure there's all kinds of stuff that they'll be out there for that. But as far as the gameplay and the game itself, I think it's great. It's fantastic. Um, 
and I'm excited for more plays of it, honestly, just to explore it. The only thing I'll say that we will be doing differently, uh, minor little house rule with it, yes. is we will be drafting our starting hands. Um, I know, Brady, you've complained about this in a couple of games. It hasn't happened to me, and I don't know if it's just the way I'm playing and prepping. This is not a game to where, like, like in Terraforming Mars, it's a huge deck. And so if your whole strategy is based, you know what, at the very beginning of the game, I'm going to get science tags, and that's all I'm going to do. Uh, and if the science tags don't come to me, then I just lose the game, and it's the game's fault. This is a game that, as the cards come to you that are in the that you're either drawing or that are in the river that you can. Well, I say the river that's a poker term, but in the on the kind of the market that you can acquire, you have to be ready and willing to change your strategy whenever you see an opportunity that may be different on some of these cards. Um, some things may align, but you can't just like man from the very get go. I'm going to do a predator strategy i'm just going to go yeah. at it super hard you have to create your strategy as you go and to me i love that because one thing that the game limits there's no technically no limit on how many cards you can have in your hand but whenever a kind of a reset period happens where we take some income and we draw out new cards and all that kind of stuff it's a little dynamic when that happens um so you don't know exactly but you have to discard down to three so you can have it up to you know 50 cards in your hand at one time but whenever that break reset happens you have to discard down to three you can do a little upgrade and there's some upgrades you can do in your park uh to where that would be five but the game is incentivizing you to be playing as the game plays yeah playing as and you go. so and especially towards the end of the game kind of as you're wrapping up you are kind of like looking for specific cards like maybe it's animals or whatever and so because all of the animals and the whatever other cards are um, sponsored cards sponsor which cards. are kind of like projects or kind of like the blue kind of cards in yeah, Terraforming the blue Mars. Cards. Then there's the green cards, they're conservation projects. They're all in the same deck. And, you know, you can have these moments where you're looking for animals and the only thing you can kind of come up with is those well, blue sponsor cards. You're saying animals, but I feel like in the games we played, you've been looking for a very specific type of animal. No, I mean, in some cases... Because to me, I've never had that happen. Because I think one thing I do is I try to keep half of cards I'm trying to play now... And then I'm trying to keep some cards in my hand that will be late game so that yeah. I'm not well, ever I mean, stuck. That's, that sometimes that's difficult to do because you have a hand, you sort of have a hand limit of three exactly. cards. So like you may hold on to two or three cards. These are my long-term cards, but then yeah, anything yeah, else yeah. I'm gaining, anything else I gain, I play. And I think one good thing it adds is that you can upgrade. To, so one of the things you can do in the game is upgrade the cards. You can flip over your action cards to where they're level two. And what it allows you to do is either draw from kind of the central market or you can actually when you do a play animal action you don't have to play from your hand you can actually play from the available yeah, the cards face up which but, i think gives you a lot of flexibility but there are a lot of animals especially once you get towards the end and you sort of like have have kind of railroaded your strategy a little bit more by the by that time um there's a lot of animals that can essentially be like dead cards to you anyways like um there there's some that you cannot play if you have um, but your score marker has like gone to a certain extent. It's like chickens where it's like your reputation there's very, track. There's very few. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so there's those, but there's also ones that have like a lot of requirements, like maybe three predators. And it's like, if you're close to the end of the game, there's no way you can like, like get, just get three predators. Like, no. you know, very That's, quick. That'd so, be the same though in Terraforming Mars. If you're at the end of the game, some of those cards require five science tags to play. Yeah, they're, but they're, I feel like there's, those are like fewer and far between um because well, like the main 
Well, uh, I, th- I, I think in, in, in Ark Nova, the thing that I see the most as a requirement is one of the things you can upgrade is a like a partnership. And you can uh, you can gain a partnership with different countries, continents around the world and add them to your park. Some cards require you to have a partnership with like an Asian Asian partnership before you can play it. Those are the most common. And then usually that's one tag requirement. And then like a second level requirement, maybe you must have one lizard already in your park or one yeah predator or one winged animal already in your park. Um, I don't know. I've never got felt like I was like backed into a corner. I purposely in my mind try to maybe have an extra enclosure just in case I need something else different. Yeah, yeah. And then have, what's really cool is there are a, like a bird sanctuaries or reptile houses or petting zoos to where these enclosures are specifically meant to have multiple cards multiple animals in those enclosures and so like you may get a bird that's like well it has to go in a size five enclosure or it can go in your like your bird sanctuary well i already got my bird sanctuary out i can just pluck it in there and so having those kind of like reptile birds petting zoos give you a lot of flexibility too um and i found that to be really helpful in a lot of my games as well because then if you don't have those like well i gotta build a level five enclosure uh, that can kind of strum you in. So it is a game of what can I play as I go, but then you got to think about what I can play later. And there are strategies that just require repeat plays to kind of see. But yeah. drafting our starting hand, I think, will be helpful because I think the last game we played, like John, his starting hand, like of the 80 had, he had like two animals or one animal and every other one were like those kind of bonus type yeah, yeah. project cards. Yeah, so again, it I definitely, it's one that I, at this point, I'm like, Let's just play Ark Nova because I, I, there's a lot more to explore about the game. Um, so I probably and there I think there's people have been saying, hey, this is very clearly your best opening strategy. I'm gonna be doing something different, Brady, in our next game. I just okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna want you to just pay attention to. You got the I'm gonna be optimal BGG strats. There are there. no optimal BGG strats. This is a strategy that in my own in your machinations own of my mind. mind. Okay. Yep. Um, but that's enough. So for Ark Nova, I'm sure you're gonna be hearing us talk about it more. But it's a fantastic. Um, thing is my copy, my pre-order copy got in literally when I got back from the cruise. Yeah. It was sitting at home. It was like, all right, boys. It was like Christmas back to back to back. Yeah. Let's keep, let's keep this train going. Coming from, um, but real quick, Brady, what were some other highlight games that we played there on the cruise? Just real quick. Just kind of get through some. So we got in a lot of games. Um, as you can imagine, we got in 41, I just counted it up 41 plays, um, that included, A lot of games, but a couple of highlight games, and we'll dive a little deeper into our thoughts on some of these in the future. Um, but we got in Brian Baru. Baru, Baru, yep. Um, again, we got in Lahav. We got in Downforce, which is kind of an oldie. I got another uh, play of Babylonia, which skyrocketed. Maybe turn that one around a little bit. Yep. We got in Furnace, Blitzkrieg, Iwari. Uh, Cascadia was a new one that was a, a big uh, one that I was in. Uh, that you didn't was Guy Project. Yes, yeah, Guy Project. Um, we got in So Clover, a new party yeah, game. We Matthew mentioned had never heard about episode. this one. Um, and and one thing about So Clover, and we're going to be saving this for a future kind of discussion, is uh, games where you just play with inspiration. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Cause there were several times when we played some games on the cruise ship to where 
the obviously these are lighter games when we're playing with like six or eight people that you know what let's just there's let's just an, play it our way for fun let's go subway and on. i think that's an interesting way to look at some stuff because normally we're big rule stickler sticklers um but i think that's there's some interesting things that we discovered when playing some games that you know what there there may be more enjoyable way to do it than stuff out of the box then one sleeper hit was which was the very last game we played and we literally there was literally a countdown on like the last day friday it's like every game it must be back in the library at 3 30 and we started playing this game around two it was a brand new game um the artist i can't remember the designer name but i was like man this art looks really familiar and it, it was for sure it was the same artist who'd done stuff like imperial steam and for great western trail and all those kind of games uh, and that was paris yep and this is a game i w- didn't have anywhere on my radar and that you had mentioned i was like it looks cool. You mentioned the word Rondell to me. Yeah, this was one that was kind of like on that back burner for a long time. I'd looked at a couple of reviews of it, but just wasn't quite ready to hit the hit the buy button on Amazon. Um, and again, the Dice Hour Crew is great. It's great opportunities to play games like that. And it was a win. So yeah. I think we might be trying to hunt that one down a bit. And the thing is, we literally played it three times. And when I say that, <laughs> we played for five minutes. And we're like, hold up. Something feels really wrong about yeah. what's happening yeah. here. Brady, look back at the rule book. Oh, guys, let's play differently. Okay, okay, we just started. We can keep playing. It's like, are we sure this is still right? This still doesn't feel right. Yeah, Brady's yeah. like, oh, hold up. Something big. We were yeah. really playing it wrong this time. So we just so reset we, the whole board yeah, really hard quick. hard reset. Like, with like, like forty five oh, minutes left. Yeah, so and this is like an hour and a half speed game. Ran through the game, and when um, I said that was, the was fa- great. That was an hour and a half game that we ran through in about forty minutes. Yeah, and and even in then, I was still seeing. So the basic concept is, you're in Paris, you're around the Arc de Triomphe, and if you've never been there, it's literally like a big kind of uh, arch with a huge roundabout uh, roundabout circling it. And essentially, the board game has like six different sections of like province or towns and businesses around it. Mm -hmm. And you're revealing tiles, placing it in there. And then you're taking actions of like area control. Um, And then you're using that area control to put your influence markers on certain buildings. Certain buildings have bonuses. One important bonus is, is this kind of rondel track that goes around the entire board. The actual game is like a circle. Um, And what's really cool about this bonus rondel track is it's similar to Gizia, those kind of games where we love to where you can go as far as you like. On your very first go, you can jump all the way to the end, but you can never go backwards. Um, And so that was really interesting. Some bonuses, you're playing with the player shield with your resources and stuff behind it. So you don't really, um, your opponents don't know. And it it kind of plays on, do you want to be a little bit of everywhere? Because there's a first, second, and third place scoring in sections. Or do you want to be really strong in a few places? I won the game, I think. By just a couple points, and I yeah. I did the strategy. I want to be present at least everywhere, mm-hmm. so that I'm at least getting some points. Yeah. Um, but it, it was a really <laughs> unique experience. But I think the game had a lot of interesting stuff that it's on our list of acquire things games we're going to acquire. Yeah. Uh, along with Blitzkrieg, I'll just mention real quickly. Blitzkrieg is the older brother for Caesar conquering Rome in 20 minutes. This is Blitzkrieg World War Two in 20 minutes, and it, that's that's not a joke. This like I don't think we even had games that lasted 10, 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we played three back to back to back games. Brady won all three, and I'm just like Brady. Let's keep playing. We obviously couldn't. Yeah, we had yeah. other stuff we had to do. But this where Caesar was is more about long term. Where do I want to back my uh, opponent into a corner? Mm-hmm. Kind of like. A, it's kind of like a tic tac toe. You like you place an X here, hoping they put a, a circle here so that you can kind of get yeah. them in a bonus somewhere else. Blitzkrieg is all about 
we're doing a the dance. Here and now, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's you're lunging forward, I'm lunging back, and you're it's yeah. it, it we're is, very much responding to like what they just did. Yeah, of, and yeah. you really feel that all right, I can essentially you're playing on you're trying to win different regions or fronts in the war. And you may like, you know what, I'm going to concede this so that I can go ahead and get a jump start in this region. Mm-hmm. Super great tension. Um, there's really cool. It's, you're pulling tokens out of the bag behind your player screen and placing them. There's a lot more unique player ability tokens in yeah. this than Caesar. It also has like a variant on the back, which looked very ex- overwhelming it, to so me. So it's an expansion. So it's essentially like an expansion module. And, and it had Godzilla. So yeah. I, we did not break into that. I was not ready. But for it's, God, a cool, for it's a cool World concept. War Godzilla. Yeah. So essentially... The other side, I think it's the Nippon Nippon expansion, is that it's in you've like gone Red Dawn and you're in America now. Um, <laughs> the Koreans invaded, um, and essentially you start in one location, but based on that location, then to go into the other fronts, you spread out. It's like kind of like a spreading out effect. Yeah. And how strong you won, how strong of a victory you had in the first uh, region determines kind of your. A leg up you start in the next one yeah so you kind of start with bonuses as you spread out mm-hmm. but obviously that is going to be one that's on our um yeah and we'll, we'll do uh, deeper dives into some of these yeah. a little there bit are also later. some big stinkers of games we were had expectations for yeah on this trip no spoilers yeah no spoilers no yet spoilers, one yeah. i did get a chance i pulled out uh chaos in the old world i sat down read the rules um but then tom yeah. was going to teach us love and so i had to put that up Okay. So we didn't get Game around. Quiet. So there were some. So the two games I didn't get around to playing was Obsession. That game was um, out. It was being played in, a lot. It yeah. was being played a lot. It yeah. was almost always out. And then Chaos in the Old World, I had it ready to go. I was like, you know what? I can put this away. Yeah. Learn and we, I wanted to play Monumental. That was one that we also did not. We saw it being played fairly often, but. Yeah. And the thing is, that's. Bigger. Yeah. It would have been longer. We were trying to limit games that were going to take. Over like I don't think we played any games outside of Ark Nova on that first play that were like two hour plus games. Yeah, yeah. And that was just because we had got to hit the pool time. Gotta yeah, hit. pool time and stuff. Yeah. And we we got through sunburns. Don't worry, we went out to ports. Yeah, we got all that fun stuff done too. Um, but Brady, today we kind of wanted to talk about a little bit of you know there's so many games uh, that are constantly being on the, the BGG hotness on Kickstarter on Game Found things that you're hearing. About here, someone's listening to a podcast or, or some yeah. reviewer. You're standing in the games. library staring at 3,000 games wondering yeah. which one to play. The amount of time it would take to even like, okay, let me get a snippet of every single game and then yeah. make a decision would take you forever. Yeah. So sometimes all you can go on is just one or two keywords about a game. Yeah. And sometimes... What, what keywords perk your ears? Perk your ears. Sometimes bit. that's yeah. literally all you have to go on just because... We don't have time to sit and do an in-depth review because I love watching my YouTube reviews of games. I love looking at rule books and stuff. But one thing I liked about this trip is, you know, I had games I learned, games I was familiar with. But then there was also a lot of games that were taught to us. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a couple of games that were taught to us by fine English gentlemen, which was fantastic. <laughs> um, I've never had a more relaxing learning experience of a game than when that Englishman taught what? us. Furnace. Scott, Scotty, maybe I can't remember. It was either Scott or Scotty. Uh, his name? Us, um, furnace. Furnace. And, yeah, it was a, it was a very pleasant experience. Um, but sometimes, like, I have to make a decision that what keywords are going to say, make me say, count me in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think uh, well, on another episode, we're going to be saying, what words say, make me say, count me count out. Count me out, Holmes. <laughs> yeah, not uh, today. But what are some keywords that make me want to say, count me in? Um, and hope that I have the best experience with it. So, Brady, what was going to be your first? Count me in 
Oh, these are buzzwords or words to get yeah. me triggered. So I think one of the biggest ones, and this was one for Paris, but and I don't know exactly what to call this. I'm going to use some of the Dice Tower lingo, but the ratchet track. Um, so the idea that you, uh, the track that you can go down, but you can never go back. It's um, it's it's semi rondel. Yeah, because you, but the, with that full rondel, you keep going. Yeah, but it's yeah specifically that the idea that you can't go back. So this is Paris, and that's literally um, what you said to me. And I'm like, all right, let's play it. Yep, uh, Francis Drake, and that that's what initially got me interested in Paris was that like bonus track. Um, Takedo Agizia has this. There's like several more now, and I'm glad this is being used more often because... Fantastic. I mean, one of my favorite things in games ever is just tension. I think that tension alone and sometimes is what makes me want to play a game like just yeah. immediately after. And it's, a, it's the idea of like choices that are just so agonizing that I, you know, I'm like, do I do I skip all of this stuff like in that... Faithful Igizia game that one time to like go up and get that one thing I need, or do I hold out and kind of hope and hope that nobody else is going to see that? Yeah, that is really good. And so, and that's sometimes the biggest pain you have is not what other people do to you, but in those games, it's what you failed to make a decision about yourself. So, I think these tracks um, just do so much to give to for that tension. Um, and, and like in a game like Francis Drake, you, it's almost two games, one half of the game, you're playing that track where you're, you know, you're going. And then the next half of the game, um, you're doing sort of like a area control, um, uh, collection type of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it can be split or a game like Takeda where it's like, that is the entire game or even a Gizia to a certain extent. Like for the most part, you are just moving down those tracks. So. Yep, very good. Um, this didn't. This wasn't one that made uh, my list, but it would. It's absolutely. I mean, that's what made me want to play uh, Paris. I don't know if I've ever. I'm trying to think of a game that have that's had this mechanic that I was like, man, this was a big stinker. I mean, some are obviously better than others, but I think this is universally a mechanic or feature of a game that I always enjoy just because of the excruciating decisions and value propositions that you have to evaluate as you play. And that's to me, that's like. You know, we play some games like Downforce, like, hey, hey, this is just fun. This is just fun. Don't have to think too hard about it. Uh, and sometimes, you know, just want your brain to think a little harder. My first one is when someone says, this game is simple to learn, but hard to master. And a perfect example of this is, is uh, The King is Dead. This is another game that when, we actually... Is that one simple to learn, Matthew? Is it simple It's simple to learn, to learn when you pay attention. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is a game that I've played before a couple times. Andrew was with us on the Dice Tower cruise, and we were all kind of chilling at the airport, which... Chilling uh, at the airport for, for eight hours. Oh, my word. That was <laughs> miserable. We learned a lot of lessons over this so, uh, Dice Tower cruise, and uh, that was one of them. Yeah. So... Tara, uh, Brady's lovely wife, and this is no fault of her own. I mean, we weren't responsible for yeah. doing any stuff, and we were like, hey... And people and people had said um, that she had looked at as like don't schedule your return flight too closely to after from when you like you get back to port because what if there's a delay and then you miss your flight or something and then so our flight was like at five but, but no we got, our, we yeah, got we in the got port, the airport at like nine o'clock yeah nine forty five thirty or something like that terrible. and then our flight was like at five five fifteen and then yeah. it got delayed to like five thirty. Ugh. It was a rough but day of travel. We got uh, The King is Dead played, and essentially the premise of this is uh, it's an area control game. You can play it 
1v1, uh, three players, or four players. In a four-player game, it's 2v2. Um, and everyone at the table is given just eight cards, the same eight cards. And those are your only eight actions that you have for the entire game. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to manipulate either red, blue, or is it yellow. Yeah, red, blue, or yellow cubes in these different provinces and regions of England um, so that your color that you align yourself win, with wins the most regions. Um, and each region is resolved after everyone passes in like a sequential order. Um, but you can take as many actions as you want whenever you want to. Like every time it gets to your turn, you can keep taking all your actions. So you have to determine, do I want to spread my actions out? Do I want to take all of my actions early in the game and secure a good you know, foothold in my like influence? Um, and this was a game where Brady, it just wasn't clicking a little bit. Like, no, they, you don't get your cards back. Those are the only eight actions you have all game. And in like the first you know, region that we were resolving, and there's those eight of them, Brady had already spent four or half of his cards yeah, in that one it region. Started to, um, it started to click that I was doing something wrong when Matthew was just, the entire time I was playing cards, Matthew was just passing the whole time. And I, so I was like, why is he passing? Like, why, why does he just not care about this thing? And so then I'm like, wait a second, when do we get these cards back? And I said, never. Yeah, never. And I'm like, <laughs> oops. Oh. Okay. Yeah. So this was one, and, the and cards, I agree with you. Simple to learn, hard to master. Because is cards a are fantastic. Sim- yeah. Uh, fantastic uh, mechanism. I don't know if that well, word, well, or, a style of game. Yeah, I guess style. Uh, because in in the King is Dead, the cards literally are uh, place one of each colored cube in any region. Yeah. Switch two adjacent cubes in two adjacent regions, or put two red cubes in a supporting region. It's very very simple. Like mm-hmm. you literally look at the card; and it's little pictures. Yeah. on there so it's very simple in concept but knowing when and where to do those actions yeah. so the king is that is strategy. one i'm going to have to probably give another chance if i'm not too bitter about it but um the one i would say is like caesar caesar's pretty dang simple yeah but i have yet to master that game i think i've played like eight or ten times and i've won once mm-hmm. as being a prestigious board game player myself i mean that's that's pretty impressive that yeah. a game can do that to you yeah and it just drives you to want to play it more the same thing with the blitzkrieg i haven't won yet yeah <laughs> <laughs> and i want to play it more so that's my first one simple to learn hard to master okay yeah so um next one for me this one is i'm kind of dipping my toe into your and and david's territory a little bit here this one's for david um and myself and that is specifically pacific specifically Andrew Bosley artwork. <laughs> okay. Andrew okay. Bosley artwork. You, you do know that Senior Bosley doesn't actually influence how the game works, right? Nope. Nope. Well, uh, yeah, no, not not at all. But if it has that artwork, yeah, buddy, I want to play it. <laughs> like it is just <laughs> sign to me, me up. Because um, you like don't you, get into like artists and all no. that kind of stuff at all. But I, who? What is the name of the artist? What's the name of the designer? I don't really care. Never really ask. But his art is just so good. So such a cut above everybody else's artwork that I can just instantly recognize it. Yeah. And if I see a game, I'm like, that that's my boy Andrew, and let let's play it. So recently, and a couple of games are Tapestry, Everdell. I didn't know this one, but Descent, um, 
Journeys in the Dark or something by mm-hmm. Fantasy Flight. Um, Se- and then, first or second edition? Uh, and then now they have like the new big box kind of edition. edition. Yeah, and may- maybe the third one as well. I can't. I I've never played the game, but um, and then recently something that just broke my heart is David got in Merchants of the Dark Road, which I would have loved to give a chance. Oh yeah, David came in this weekend for uh, John and Kate's wedding. Yep, he brought some games. He brought Crash Octopus, which I. Um, Brady, just as a side note, just side note, um, when we were, we were all together at, uh, your in-laws, uh, cause that's where David and his wife were staying. Uh, John got up to leave. It was like 1040 or something like yeah. that. His wedding why, is the next why day. Does, yeah. Why? And he so got I was, up to leave and, because he had to get And married. I thought everyone else was going to be getting up to leave. Cause like, Hey, we got a wedding tomorrow. Let's get some sleep. David and Sam just traveled for three or four hours. And so I just got up and it's like, I thought that's what everyone else is doing. And I proceeded <laughs> and to follow and John and I left. I thought you were a lightweight or and something. And apparently everyone else just stayed around and gave and no one said, Matthew, please don't go. Please stay with us and play <laughs> some games. I thought you were, I thought you were crashing out uh, on us. And no one said anything. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, Jake, will be right behind me i'm just no, so kind of sad just, you just got up and left i missed, I missed out on out. crash octopus yeah the new greatest uh dexterity game but apparently um andrew bosley's artwork isn't enough for david to say count me in because before he even played the game david yes i'm throwing you under the bus right now he, he was proclaiming this game sucks yeah and he before, got rid of it he sold it before he ever actually played it yes got waited who knows how long for the kickstarter to Hate actually all that come shipping. In. Has Andrew Bosley artwork, the greatest components I've literally ever seen in a game, um, and uh, didn't even give it a chance. I did see it played. I know he sold it, but I thought he had played it. No, he didn't play it. Wow. Um, David, listen, you played (laughs) Etherfield at least two or three times before you sold that bad boy. You couldn't even give Merchants of the Dark Road a chance. I think that was the thing is he he played it and didn't sell it, and it got bad reviews, and they lost money on it. He may have done a tabletop uh, simulator. Because I think that was on a TTS there for a little while. I'm what, not sure. Merchants of the Dark Road? Yeah, I think okay. that was on TTS. Um, yeah, but, but yeah. it's got my my boy Andrew Bosley's artwork. Um, and yeah, it's just... Um, and it is kind of just great artwork in general. You know, if you, if you put two games in front of me, one of them I've heard has amazing mechanisms, but terrible artwork via, you know, Terraform Mars. Um, the other one... Amazing artwork, but maybe not the best mechanisms like Merchants of the Dark Road. I am 100% going to play Merchants of the Dark Road every time. And, you know, eventually I will discover through that that maybe it's not the greatest game. And the other one is, in fact, better. But initially, what perks my ears up is that amazing artwork. Not, uh, I've heard a bunch of tryhards on BGG like this other game better. Hey, listen, life can be fun in the shallows, Brady. Yeah. All right. What is your next one? (laughs) All righty. Mine is going to be a game with a historical focus on it. I love history. Um, I've always enjoyed it growing up, whether that's American history, uh, European history, art history, whatever it may be. I love history and learning it kind of like an immersive experience as much as possible when you're playing uh, board games. I know I've uh, a lot of these packs uh, type games fall into that mix. Um, um, one recently is Pax Beforeana. Uh, there's Pax Premier. All these uh, games with Cole Worley that he does. One that I'm really excited about and looking forward to. Um, that's John Company. Um, some other ones that I have coming in is uh, Darwin's Journey. 
Um, and so I love experiencing that one that I, we haven't gotten in um, that I really want to play. You know what? I got PAX Viking, which I love. That was I, a dead. No, not at all. Uh, Brady, you just not, you're not understanding how to play it. But PAX Renaissance was the other one that I got in with like the reformation period and everything. Um, it's people say it plays great at two. Um, I still think that's one we need to try out Brady. I have it just sitting on my shelf of shame. I haven't been played, but I love games that have a grounded historical nature to them. Um, I think it's just a great way of experiencing things. That's just outside of fantasy outside of space. And it, it gives you a chance to learn. Um, I think a lot of the PAX games do a really good job of, you know, adding that flavor text on their cards. Like in PAX Premier, you can learn about these people and these events and things that actually happen. And then there's some lighter kind of history-adjacent ones uh, that I enjoy, uh, like Lorenzo or Maracaibo or Marco Polo. You know, they're not as integrated historically, but they put you into those historical-type settings. Um, Watergate is another one. I was going to say Watergate. Watergate's fantastic. I think... For me, this one depends on how they approach that history. Um, Watergate got me excited, and like as I played the game and realized the game was great, I dove deeper into the history. Um, but it like the historical thing wasn't necessarily the thing that like perked my ears up about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say, uh, Pax. Premier, the artwork on that is a total that it, that does not draw me in whatsoever. But it's it's true to the time period in the region. Like that's why I'm yeah. saying like like have, I don't think you've looked at it because you didn't back the game. But John Company, the artwork in that is fantastic. So one thing I love so much is uh, our political humor, political comedies, political comics, those strips, um, and they have hired like. Um, historical political artists to do all their kind of stuff on cards and in rule books and stuff. And I don't know if you remember stuff um, from that, you know, 1800s and stuff like that, that type of art, that political humor, people over exaggerating body parts and features and stuff of people in power. And just that, um, that kind of time setting is dripping all over the rule book. Like even the way the rule book is designed is around graphics and artwork uh, and so to me, I love that stuff. I find it engaging and immersive and something that really stands out amongst a lot of the the, the fair that you see in a lot of other th- themes for board games. Um, and so that's one that's like, hey, it's got a history for it. Um, it also makes me realize this may be a slog of a learn because usually those games have a lot of rules and stuff to them. Um, what there is, uh, and there's a lot of those kind of... Um, I know a lot of the like 18xx games are kind of circled around kind of historical companies and stuff like that. But even City of the Big Shoulders, I mean, we're playing with actual yeah. historical yeah, companies that is cool about and City stuff of the like Big that. Yeah. So you're playing, you're you're kind of you're pretending to be the managers and the CEOs yeah. of these historical companies. You know, and uh, now that you say that, it, like that is cool about um, City of the Big Shoulders. Something that I think would take me further into a game like, and this is another one, a uh, smartphone that we didn't get a chance to play on the Dice Tower cruise. Yeah. Um, but something that would make smartphone um, just up a level is if those companies were based on real world companies like Apple and Samsung and Google and things like that. But they, they legally can't do that. They though. legally can't. Uh, well, I mean, 
Yeah, it would be legally tough to do, especially for like a smaller. If you did kind of like a pseudo adjacent, like instead of Apple, you called it pair. Pair. Yeah. (laughs) It's always pair. It's always pair. I think that's like the actual thing when people do rip off of Apple. It's it's like pair and symbol. Instead of Tesla, you call it. Nicola. Nicola. That's another company as well. Or, or something. You, yeah, you yeah. know what I'm saying, though? Mm-hmm. Um, they could have done it, and that would have made it... it but it, it would have taken away a little bit for their very clean aesthetic because it would have been a little bit more humorous, I guess, for those kind of like commonal, those parody companies. Yeah, I guess the, the parody does lend it to a certain level of humor. But I do like, you know, that City of the Big Shoulders is based on real-world companies and stuff like that yeah but even a game like we play like we mentioned with paris like you literally had a little cardboard kind of 3d representation of the arc de triomphe and you're mm-hmm. setting up in like paris but it's like paris in the 1700s yeah type and it gives you the you know before you start the game it gives you a little blurb like oh you are in the crest of the 19th century or whatever trying to get up land and whatnot yeah i mean even castles of burgundy i mean Obviously, that's a very dry Euro, but I know like Twilight Struggle, every card you play, like the action the card has is based on the event. like tied to a specific, you know, event that happened. And I think that is amazing because you can almost remember these cards by like remembering history. Yeah, yeah. And it's really cool. All righty. So my next one is, I don't know the exact name I'm going to call it, so I'm going to call it the hand of cards you can't use again until you reset them. Does that make sense? So the this hand of is, cards you can't use until... So you're like a deck builder? No, no, not a deck builder. You have a hand of cards, yeah. and you can build that hand to a certain extent. But I'm thinking, like, the main one is Concordia. So this is like, you you have that hand of cards. Once you play a card, you can You do a reset action. Yeah, you have to do some sort of reset action or play all of them. Um, so in uh, Lord of the Rings to Confrontation, um, you're the battle cards, you can't... Once you use a battle card, you cannot use that battle card again until you use all of the other ones. Um, So this is Concordia, Lord of the Rings Confrontation, Gloomhaven to a certain extent, once you've used that. Yeah, okay. I was starting to think, what's another game that does Gloomhaven? Yeah, Yeah, Gloomhaven. But I think in Gloomhaven, the fact that it's tied to your life, like your endurance, like how long you live... That ramps it up another notch. And honestly, in Concordia, I'm not really too worried about it. And in Confrontation, when you run out of cards, it's the same round that your opponent is running out of cards. So you're all resetting together. It's just a matter of what's the order you play the cards. I know, but you can really back yourself into a corner. You have one card left. Yeah, if you play a a card wrong. I mean, if you you get down to that last one, and, and I have my two, and you have your six, that is... That's a lot of information right there. Yeah. And, you know, being able to to really hang on to those cards and, and have the tension of, like, do I want to win this battle and use my big card, or do I want to hold on to that yeah. for a rainy day? And I think, it, now that you mention it, the, although I know Gloomhaven, it, it's tied to your life or your health or in all that kind of fantasy, but a mechanic of you have a set deck of cards, you know, it could be a Euro, it could be whatever, but, like, you choose, let's say you have 14 cards, you get to choose 10 of them. But at certain points of time, you're losing the cards that you have rotational access to. Yeah. And I think that mechanic itself 
could because in court and quarter you you get your all your cards back and then you're constantly gaining cards but what if you have a diminishing access to cards the more you play or based on actions you do in a game yeah. i don't like know. you start with a bigger hand and every time you reset you have to get rid of one which is essentially <sighs> what happens in clean and what's but. so great is like i can already see that happening in like a euro is that you can be you try to be efficient so you use all the cards before you reset or maybe there's a really good action you know what I think I'm going to have to hit a reset so I get this card back to do an action I really want now versus waiting for all this yeah. stuff. And which is and kind so of like you're that like in Concordia. Slowly honing into a certain strategy because you're or you just got rid of your card that lets you do yeah. you know, that sort And then of thing. you look at your opponents. Okay, what cards do they still have? Well, I need to hold on to this because they got rid of that one and now I can capitalize on it. Obviously, in Concordia, you want to be efficient and win a time, but you're never losing anything. But I think the whole fact of like you're losing out or something is falling apart. You know, yeah. one game I got from PAX Unplugged, which we still haven't played as Corrosion. Obviously, that's about things falling apart. I don't know if that has that involved with it. We haven't played it yet. But I, yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, that is that would be a really unique mechanic to apply to other themes and settings. Mm, Obviously, yeah. Gloomhaven's card system, top and bottom, it doesn't have to be that. You could literally just be, here's your action cards, or here's yeah. your ability cards. And I like the another great one um, is Century Spice Road. Um, similar to Concordia, you are adding cards to your hand, but you will eventually, um, once if not two or three times, four times during the game, have to do that reset action. Um, and you know you can do a strategy where you you do as few reset actions as possible and try to be as efficient as possible, or you can kind of rush it, brute strength it, and just reset sooner to get reset those better actions. To get those better actions oh, and think, just try yeah, to beat everybody out. That's a great um, pick, Brady. Yeah, I'm very so, impressed. <laughs> well, thank you, Matthew. Yeah, that's a good pick. Yeah, so this one, if I hear a game that's like sort of a hand management system where where I have to decide like... Dynamic reset. Do I want to maximize this efficiency or do I just want to go ahead and do this? Because a lot of times in these games, um, like I'm thinking of Century, a lot of times that reset action is like the only thing you do. So yeah. it's like everyone else is getting that leg up on you. They're getting like essentially another turn another free turn while you're just picking up your cards or whatever you know yep very good all right my number three is a game when you tell me it's team versus team i feel like i've mentioned this a ton um but i love cooperative competitive settings we it's either 2v2 3v3 whatever it may be but we have to work together but then we also have to be equally cooperative as we are competitive and to me that's like the best of both worlds and I love it, but I feel like most of those type of games fall into the lighter fare. Yeah. Um, and then, the, but the, and then the heavier ones of those tend to be like your um, Concordia has a new team version. Oh, Remember, Brady? Yeah. That sounds we so ridiculous. Play, we can play Concordia, the team variant. How but how I awesome would, does that sound? I, I will play it, but I just know it sounds ridiculous. But hey, it, it may be a great. Ridiculous. But what I was saying, like some of the heavier games, maybe ones that like are hidden trader or hidden role games that may be bigger or longer. Um, you know, like the um, Battlestar Galactica, then that was rethemed to unfathomable. Like, you know, you're working together, but then like if you're the Cylons or the old ones. Um, but then there's a lot of other lighter party games, a lot of trick taking games. It's in um, and I just really felt felt like I haven't gotten that in a heavier type game like i that's one of the reasons i love um what is the one with the aliens and it's like gears of war that were shooting all that are aliens 
Oh, um, um, Project Elite. Project Elite. Because yeah. that is a little bit, the competitive part is against the AI. That's why I love it. Like, we're cooperating together, but then we have that equally competitive nature because we're competing against the AI. And it's more than just like, oh, well, at the end of round, flip a card in pandemic and something happens. Like, no, this is like dynamically you're yeah, competing yeah. against as you go. And that's one of the reasons I love um, Project Elite so much is that cooperative versus competitive Yeah, I, I will say it. I like these team versus team games when it comes to word games. I'm not great at word games, I feel yeah. like. But so um, when we did so clever and so, so clever. So close so clever. Get it? Yeah. Um so I I don't even know how the game is supposed to be played. I think I looked at a little <laughs> bit essentially how the game is supposed to be played is like everyone goes around in a circle passing around the little tablet, adding a different word. How we played it is that we had three teams of two. Yeah. Each partner had a little clover tablet. I think it's, we had enough for that. Um, and yeah. then you randomly assign your four square cards and their orientations in your clover, and then you have to write the clue word to get your partner to redo this. You take those four cards out, you add in a fifth, you shuffle them up, and then at the same time, everyone hands their clover to their partner. And now it becomes a competition. The first team. The first team. To finish both the of puzzle. Wins Both as a team, uh, and I thought that was fantastic because yeah. so uh, we that was one of them where we just basically made up our own rules. We knew the it. concept. You're trying to correctly orientate these Who word wants to cards. Read a rule book when you're on a cruise, you just pull out the. <laughs> we read a lot of rule books on the cruise, too. yeah. But it it changed the game for like oh we're just sitting around watching we're all just kind of laughing till it it like it it upped the ante of fun to me yeah. a whole lot. Now I think we could refine that a little bit because we were just going wild wild west with the rules like first we were kind of experimenting well how many guesses does each team get and we realized this is a lot harder when yeah, you're under yeah. pressure <laughs> than it seemed like and then we started doing it well after your like fourth or fifth guess if you're not right your partner can tell you how many of your yeah. cards you got right yeah. and so we were tinkering around with that and, and i think honestly, if we got is... the game we could fine-tune it a little bit more but to me when we did that cooperative and competitive part of it because i'm like man i want Brady to get this but I also want this to be fun words with yeah. it. I don't know, but to so, me, that's what I love. The first thing I did when I heard the rules for just one, I was like, why is this a, comp- a cooperative game? Oh, like, I, this needs to be. I, so I, what I did yeah, was I, I basically just went out, bought a bunch of dry erasable index cards, a ton of them, and a bunch of dry erase markers, because that's literally all you need. And I just made it where you can have two teams that are competing against one another. And so it's like, you know, you each choose a word, um, and then, um, and then the, you know, you get assigned like a point system whenever you get the word and then whoever, you know, first to five or whatever, yeah. um, wins. And that just makes it, it just adds so much more tension when it, you're playing. Well, like when we were playing just one and we did play it on the cruise, I, it was, it is very since, boring. It was very boring and it playing became, standard rules. And it's just like, what's the point? Like we're just, yeah. We're just writing words and just seeing if you can guess it. If you can guess it. And so, what I don't know if it became this for you. It probably did. But for me, it I was became, just trying to have fun with the words I was yeah, putting there. Exactly. I like, I and really I was care. like, I was kind of, we were almost doing these inside jokes with not, the words. Not to help the other person guess the word, but just to make each other laugh. Yeah, just to make each other laugh and to make, and you know, to be able to look across the table like, and go, you know what I'm you, thinking yeah, about. You know, like, I know why you put that word or whatever. And honestly, th- you're right. That was way more fun. Like, I could care less. And that's not and it's like we half were, the time when we were doing that, the person couldn't get in the word. And but we weren't trying to ruin the experience, but like just playing base just one is just it seems just pointless. It's pointless and it's just like it is just way too easy to get these words yeah. 
That's like when we played Concept. And so that's a game I played before and I brought it out. Um, I, well, the way we played it was a little bit different than the base rules. Because uh, I like Concept games. was pretty challenging. Actually. Yeah, and, and it, it's a game that the rule book literally says that this is a game you want to play with the same people and, and get familiar with it. Because yeah. I like games to where if your team messes up and the other team was paying attention or working together enough, they may be able to steal some points from you. Yeah. And so that's how we played Concept is you had one clue giver and essentially Concept is this big board with a bunch of iconography on it and you're placing tokens out here to get your team to guess a word or if you're trying to get more points a harder difficulty uh for more points it may be a phrase um but if you don't get it correct you're the we had to where the opponent's team could try to get a guess to still still yeah. some points and stuff for it so i enjoy that dynamic nature not in all the time and all the games but i definitely enjoy it um to where enough someone mentions i want to play and i kind of wish somehow there was some heavier games that weren't like here's a four hour social deduction game, but some kind of Euro heavier yeah. kind of stuff that had that cooperative. Because I love trick taking game, but I mean, you, we probably do need to give uh, the cooperative uh, Concordia a try. Or, well, let's uh, do it. Concordia let's do it. Hey, hey, you know what, Brady? It could be the greatest game of all time. Could be. Okay, so my next one is a new concept for me, and it's only got two games on the list right now. Can you think of this? You're telling me like this category only has two games that fall only into it? Only has two games. Is this, is this you made up this category? Is this a legit category? Uh, I mean, it's getting more and more legit. How are there only two games? Uh, is the category unfulfilled Kickstarters? No. This okay. is um, intersecting scoring tracks. So we got oh, Rajas of the Ganges. 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 Um, and, Arc Nova. and Arc Nova. And like... I, that I we know it. There hearing, may be more, but I had been here. Yeah, let us know if there's more, um, because I would immediately want to play them. And I, so I didn't know anything about Rajas when you first taught it to us, but that scoring mechanism just blew my mind with the first time we ever played that. It was just like it just took the game to a whole new level and just allowed you to be so creative with Absolutely. how you wanted your game to go. Um, and what's and, so cool is that two people can be playing two completely different strategies or in three people, three completely stra- different strategies. And we all can get close. Yeah. Like we will intersect at different parts of the track, but it's, we still do it around the same time. Yeah, And it's, it's kind of hard to judge, to figure out who win. is winning because like you, and they're, you know, they're not, um, they're not quite the same. Like usually or in the two games that we have that I know about the two scoring uh, markers are not, equal so like one point on one doesn't necessarily equal one point on yeah the other. so an arc nova does a, and, and both rogers and ganji both do it to where like there is a harder to get point and then in ganjas yeah. it's kind of like your fame it's fame, fame points yeah, yeah. and arc nova it's like your conservation fame and money um but it shows you that like and at different parts of the game they're worth more so like an arc nova being of the game like those concert each conservation points is worth two of your like attraction points yeah. but later on if you get enough conservation like one conservation can be worth three or four attraction points yeah and so it's it's like do i push for this and when do i push for more because at a certain point certain bumps on one track become worth more and uh but i think in rogers the ganges is the same all the way across yeah, one fame point is always the, like two, and the money, money is very um, so like back and forth because you can spend, spend the money, and so that's what separates I think Rogers of par because you're like, man, I get this money, but then I'm and spending you are it. spending victory points. I mean that that is how you progress through the game, and so 
Yeah, and so when I was hearing the buzz about Ark Nova, I was like, okay, what is this zoo terraforming Mars game? So I watched a video on it, and they, I mean, the one of the first things I heard was, you know, it's like Rogers and Ganges meets terraforming Mars, and I was like, wait, what part of Rogers and Ganges? And they said the interacting or intersecting scoring track, and I was just like, all right, count me in. Like, count I am in. so ready for this yep. game. That mechanism is so amazing. And if I see it in the future... I'm I'm down. Like I don't care what. Give me space hexagons and that mechanism, and I'm ready to play. Space hex. You're willing. You 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 would be willing to play space hexagons if it had that. Yeah. If it. if a game wow, was okay. literally named space hexagons, the board game, the board game, and had that game in it or that mechanism in that, it, I'm ready to wow. play. So you you really like this one. <laughs> Alrighty, my number four is if you say we have asymmetry in the game. Now, this could be varying degrees, right? We have at the top, tippy, tippy top, okay. we have like root, but then we have lower down, we like in like uh, terraforming Mars, your asymmetry is unique player abilities, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, or the famous one is always for player abilities is Marco Polo. Yes. Uh, one or two or combinations, Marco Polo, the ultimate edition, Ult- ultimate which edition. we still have yeah. to put together and make. Yeah, yeah. Um, but either asym, uh, and then like with uh, Lorenzo, uh, El Magnifico expansion for that with Grand Austria Hotel, all these games, um, unique player abilities that can range for a unique power all the way up to my way I score points is completely different from you. Yeah. Um, and anywhere along that range to me uh, just opens up the door for strategy and unique competitive nature for it. Um, it allows for the game to grow, I think. Because in all these games with powers or abilities or factions, is there's always what we call the meta. So it is it's a ever revolving door of what we think is better. And then when we try to focus on that, someone finds something new and yep. something and different. And they find the counter to that. Found thing. a counter. Yep. And then similar in stuff like Blood Rage, like when people first get into Blood Rage, every game they play for the first four or yeah, five yeah. games are going to be like, this game is broken. This game is stupid. That combo is ridiculous. Why do we even allow it in the game? <laughs> but then you start to learn how do you counteract it? How do you strategize and plan around it? Um, and that's what I love about all of these. Like, And then when you get way up into the root uh, category of it, learning how each faction plays and how each player in our group plays these factions differently. And, that's and which one ones thing. they gravitate to? Yeah, and and want to play more, aka you the birds. But that's what's so theory. unique is that not only does the factions different, but how each player, human player, plays those factions is different as well. And so it just keeps adding on and on and on for replayability for that meta for the game to grow and evolve with the group or with the players as they play it more and more. Uh, even with the player powers of Marco Polo, we constantly are going back and forth, which is better, which is better. I can mm, win with that one. Oh, yeah. Oh, I can win the game with this one. It's like, no, you can't. Okay, let's see. And so it's. I like it that there's, in, in the good games, multiple feels like, man, that's the best. But no, I think that's the best. And yeah. so it's, it's, it's so unique. And then you could add in stuff to even take it further is you can start bidding and stuff for like, factions or abilities and stuff and i think that's one thing that root is adding in is kind of um they call it quote-unquote tournament play or competitive play and what that means is normally in root each faction has pre-programmed determined setup locations um whereas they kind of have some new setup rules to where it allows for more dynamic setup Mm. for it it's not quite like a bidding for things but 
like the order in which you pick your faction or your turn seating depends on what's going to be available to you to put out there. Some different things like that, what yeah. they call competitive play. Yeah, this one, I think um, I, I think I love it when the, the asymmetry feels overpowered. Like, I love the asymmetry in Marco Polo where it's like, oh my gosh, you have something that just can totally change your game from my game. Like, you're going to be using that ability to like um to just totally go in a different direction um and then i think it i think there's a testament to asymmetry where like usually the first um if it doesn't have it in the base game the first expansion is let's make asymmetric powers and that was in lorenzo it was in um which i i think uh it was a great expansion but um arnak um i think that I would have loved for that to be in the first game. I, I don't think I'd ever go back to playing just like base uh, Arnak. Um, but yeah. Yep. And like I said, it can range from simple to super, super heavy. But anything like that, I'm ready to jump in. So yeah. that's my number four, asymmetry. All right. So my number five, this will be five. Yes. Well, it's gonna be my number one. Sorry, we. I'm gonna. I started at five. Oh, these not aren't necessarily. Yeah, these aren't in any order for me. But, oh, okay. so, but for you, this is in order. So this is the most like. If you hear a whisper, what I'm heard, if you, if you hear the, right the wind carrying the wisp nature of this word being uttered, yep. you're like you're following it. Oh yeah, just just take me there. Um, okay, so this one and it also has to do with kind of what we just came out of. But this is. Guess? Say it with me, Matthew. You start and I'll follow. Drafting. Drafting. Exactly. Yes. I knew. I knew. <laughs> Did you see how aligned we were there? Yes. And so, I mean, yeah, I and you, guessed. you know, this is my favorite part about Blood Rage. You know me, firsthand of Blood Rage. I, my, my stomach is just in knots because I'm just like looking at that firsthand and I'm like, from like what direction am I going to go in this game starting right now? Um, and, and I love, and to me, you know, we're just talking about expansions. I think the other thing that things add or the things that, or even the things that we use to quote unquote fix a game is drafting. And yeah. it, I joke around that like drafting the starting asymmetric powers is my favorite part of Lorenzo plus the expansion. I just love that. I love being able to like choose your power and be able to like um you know almost balance the game based on how much you value the you know the the power or whatever so it's like is that going to be the first one chosen or am i willing to pay more for it or to take less for that power um and even in a game as simple as uh sushi go um very simple game very approachable game but adding that drafting and just that meta game of of trying to understand the people, the two people beside you, and what they're trying to do, and how much is going to help them versus help me, um, is just fantastic. And my favorite part of uh, Catan really is is having that snake draft in the beginning. Um, really, I just want to set up a game of Catan, have the snake draft. Decide who wins based off of the positioning, and then just do it all over again. We can just do that four <laughs> or five times in a row. Just reset it up. Uh, yeah. So drafting for me, uh, like again, one of the things that I love most in games is tension 
and drafting just creates so much tension in games. Very good. Very good. So my number five, um, these are no particular order, and this will be the Mount Olympus or the Godfathers of Gaming, and this these are certain designers' names. Um, for me, there is three or four designers' names that if you name them, I don't even care. You don't have to say anything else about the game other than when and where are we playing. Yeah. Um, and I've mentioned these. So these will be one none that are not going to shock you to the world or anything, but one uh, Alexander Fister is going to be one. Cole Worley is going to be two. Uh, Simone uh, Luciani, uh, who I think is just there's been rattle kind of, off some for those not necessarily um, as adept with these rattle off just a couple of games that these people are known for. Okay. Um, so for Simone Luciani, we've got Grande Austria Hotel. We have Lorenzo El Magnifico, Marco Polo one and two of uh, Zalkin. Uh, we have Barrage. There's the new greatest game of all time is going to be coming out, Anunnaki. Shoo! Shoo! <laughs> you know, uh, you know. If you know, you know. Newton, he's done Council 4. Gollum, uh, which was at the Dice Tower, but I knew it was going to be too heavy a game to try to wrap people in. It was going to be too long ago. Of a game, uh, Darwin's Journey, which is another game that I am looking started. forward to. Darwin's Journey, um, fantastic artwork, and all like these should be triggering your like endorphins in no. your head, Brady. All of these Not games that triggered. I'm listing, um, so those are games that he's done. Uh, Alexander Fister, um, we have Boone Lake, we have Maracaibo, we have Great Western Trail, we have Mombasa. We have Blackout Hong Kong, we have like the expedition to New Dell, and he's got like. Um, Broom service, I believe he did as well, and some other of those games. But when he like his big four are Boone Lake, Maracaibo, Mombasa, and Great Western Trail, and then right the below big that, four. The, yeah. the, the fifth one there is um, Blackout Hong Kong, which I have. We just haven't pulled it out yet. He also he has his name on some other games as well as um, I thought Cloud Age was Cloud Age. Fun. Yeah, his name is also in the rule book as an improved playtester for Wavelength. Wavelength, my favorite Fister game. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Just because, like, I was reading the rule book, and it's like, hold on a second. Whose name is at the end of this? Yeah. Um, and then we have Cole Worley. Now, Cole Worley's uh, game catalog is a little smaller, but they are very deep. Uh, Root, Pax Mir, he's in first and second edition. Um, he's done Oath, Chronicles, Empire, and Exile, which I think is just, like... You, did you ever do that AR program in middle school where, like, you read a book, you take a test, you get some points? Yeah, yeah. And, like, you could test, you could read different level books. Yeah, like your you middle got school, but, awards for Yeah, it. and you're, like, fourth, fifth grade. But there were always those books with, like, those white tags for, like, the 12th grader books. That's where Cole Worley is in board gaming. <laughs> that's, where Worley, he, that's where he thinks he is, and he ends up just creating a big mess. That's where he is. He's on that 12th grade, like, reading book to where, like, it's a 1,000 pages in Greek. Yeah. Um, but he's got Root, Pax Famir, Oath, a John Company, John Company, the second edition that's going to be coming out. Um, and then Root, it has a plethora of content expansion that he's worked uh, a lot on that's taken a lot of his time. So he doesn't, of these ones on my list, he has a smaller uh, catalog, but they're, for people who like his stuff, they're they're hitters. Uh, and then the fourth one there is the newest one to my kind of Mount Olympus of designers, and that is Vital Lacerda. Now, Brady, you've had quite the experience with good uh, Sir Lacerda. Yeah. Um, I've gone on been a tortured. little bit of a Lacerda you've journey. Been, you've been tortured mentally, physically, emotionally by uh, Mr. Lacerda uh, with some of his games. But on the list for games he's done, 
We have On Mars, Kanban. We have Weather Machine that's going to be coming out uh, soon. Escape Plan, CO2 Second Chance, Lisboa, Vinyos, The Gallerist. Um, he's done some Age of Steam content as well, I believe. And then some expansions for games as well. And when we say we big boy Lacerda's, He's his games are in the those the four are plus those are difficulty. the biggest boys. I will give him that. Yeah, yeah. So those are now obviously there's other designers that can that I will you know really want to play their games, but those are four designers to where you just say their names and I, very very extreme minor exceptions are their games that I've been disappointed by, and so it's sight unseen. Sign me up. Sit me down at the table. Close, blindfold my eyes, whatever you want to do. I'm there and I'm ready to play. Um, so that's my number five, the Mount Olympus of board game designers. For me personally, that's just in my... So your number five is like five board game designers? My five, if I'm a count me in, is hearing a board game designer's name that I like. And those are some examples. Okay. Um, Brady, speaking to, I know we mentioned it before, um, but on the Dice Tower, we sat down a couple times and we had to learn some games off the fly like Sanctum, that wasn't a game we were intending to play. We just sat down and learned it. And it just made me even more want to try out that experiment with you as I get a game. It's not going to be anything crazy or heavy. Maybe kind of like a Spill de Jars type level game. Um, and sit in front of you, take out the rule books, anything like that. Just put the box components in front of you and give you 20, 30 minutes and give you a piece of paper and some pencil or pen. And just, I want you to write out for me how you think yeah. this game would play, or you I te- think that would be fun. Or you just teach after thirty minutes, you teach me the game, and then we'll see how close you actually get. Obviously, yeah, yeah. Um, it's not anything we'd be doing live for the podcast, but I think it'd be something fun for us to do and then kind of talk about. Yeah, this experiment. would be fun to do as like a video segment of the podcast, and maybe we'll jump into video land at some point. Um, and there's we have a couple more ideas. So if you want us to enter video land at some point, just let us. No, and we we um we'll get the ball rolling on that. Yep. Um, is any other as far as other news? Um, I've been looking here at Kickstarter. One thing that I'm tempted as possibly jumping into on Kickstarter is Unsettled. Um, it's a new game. Well, it's come out by Orange Nebula. This is their second Kickstarter. These are the same people who do did Vindication, which is another game we need to get back on the table. I know John has really been wanting to look at that, but Unsettled is kind of their, I believe it's cooperative to some degree, kind of space exploration, kind of their competitor to ISS Vanguard. One way, shape or another, I'm going to get a hold of ISS Vanguard copy, our good friend Byron, which is new kind of, he's like the new father-in-law for the podcast now that uh, John married his daughter. Byron is the new father-in-law of the podcast. He he was actually able to secure his pledge, a little jealous, but so one way or another, we're going to get ISS Vanguard played, but Unsettled is another one I'm considering Orange Nebula has a tendency to produce a lot of content that is hard to get played. All of it, so that's the only thing. Hesitate, a little hesitation. Um, I don't see anything huge else on the Kickstarter pages. Um, Obviously, um, no news. Gloomhaven for the one thousandth week in a row uh, is still on the hotness list on BGG. Um, There, I don't. I think that's one game that will be on uh, the BGG hotness for the rest of our lives until. What's the new one? Puts it out of his misery. Frosthaven. Frosthaven. Yeah. Well, what about you, Brady? Any other thoughts or anything down the pipeline or review? Yeah. Um, well, I just wanted to give some final thoughts on the Dice Tower cruise and really just um, conventions in 
general. So I'll just shout out to anybody, any lonely gamers out there, um, or even not so lonely gamers, but you haven't te- like taken the time to dip your toes into like convention world. I would just encourage you to do so. Um, we had a group of people that we you know went with at the Dice Tower, but yeah. we there were there are eight people co- that we knew. Yeah, but there were a couple of times that, that we got into games with strangers, yeah, just strangers, people we didn't know. Um, we got into it with a couple um, from Alaska. Um, and just some other folks who either we played games with or they taught us a game or I taught them a game. Um, and, and we had lovely people at, you know, on a cruise, you'll have like pre-assigned tables and seating and stuff for dinner. We had yeah. lovely people that we met during yeah. the course of that. So the Dice Tower Cruise is like my vote if you, um, if you're kind of like a mix, if your group has kind of like a mixed bag of people who are like hardcore gamers and people who would enjoy just a normal cruise because yeah. there's a lot of opportunities. To these other conventions, do. it's it's all gaming or nothing else. Yeah, where basically. This, you could literally play one board game the entire trip if you yeah. wanted to. But, but it's so nice to be able to get out with really any hobby that you have and jump into the greater community of that hobby, um, meet a lot of people. Because it can be, you know, I don't know about the rest of the community out there, but like it, board games is just still so niche. Um, like I, you know, I, you, you talk to other people and they're like, oh, you mean like Monopoly and that sort of stuff. Well, so it can be yeah. so refreshing. To- it's actually growing on I me mean, a lot because I mean, when you look at these Asmodee kind of purchases and then Asmodee was recently bought out by this like hedge firm that and looks a, a lot at like gaming. And, you know, the only reason these hedge firms are buying up Asmodee is because they think it's an emerging market. So, yeah, yeah. you know, they people with big money, big pockets see it as a growing mm-hmm. hobby, but still comparatively to yeah. any other hobby you have. Like it's even still just seeing small. Byron this weekend and getting to talk to him and just having those like real conversations where you can say words like worker placement, tableau building, you know, these things that we just mentioned, like, a, you know, an artist or a a designer of a game that you like and have people that actually know what you're talking about. It's like, I don't know. It's just so meaningful. Yeah. And the thing too, about the dice tower cruise, if you're a little more timid uh, with big crowds and big places, like there are, you know, we're close to maybe seven, 800 or more um, people that were with the dice tower on the cruise. But, you know, for most part, you didn't know that people were, on the dice tower because most of us you know people had their t-shirts but most of us just re- wearing regular attire and so you never felt like you had to stick out or anything and it's much more of a family friendly environment you know mm-hmm. people were there yeah. with their kids uh spouses and all that kind of stuff and it, you know some of these other conventions may feel a little bit more intense or you know a lot of stress because there's so much going on so hectic here you could literally get a board game Go sit Take on it where you want, on yeah. a balcony somewhere. Enjoy the sea yeah. while you're sipping your Miami Vice. And if you don't want to ever talk to anyone else, and you just want to go to your ports and not really engage, you can do that too. Yeah. And, so, and like we were talking about going to Dice Tower East, and one of the reasons was because it is in Orlando. And what else is in Orlando is Disney, Disney World, World and Universal and stuff. And, and so we were thinking about and palm trees. Yeah. Taking, you know, the whole fam down there, the extended board game fam, doing maybe a couple of days in the Disney World and the Universal or whatever, and then having some some board game days. These trips are getting more and more expensive, Brady. <laughs> you can't put a price on family. <laughs> Fast and Furious 10. Yeah. You can't put a price on family. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but, um, you know, 
I would love for us to either do that. I, I thing is, I still want us to get like a guy's trip in because I love spending time with you know the family, the spouses, and all this kind of stuff. But it is harder, kind of getting everything done that we want to. You know, we got all the ports and all this stuff. Like I'd like to do the Dice Tower East, maybe kind of a family friendly kind of trip. But I still love us to kind of like a guy's trip to packs unplugged with the bros into Philly. Just Philly game, is a fantastic game till we city. Die. Uh, as long as you don't mind having your valuable stolen, Philly is great. <laughs> Sign me up, right? No, that's not true. <laughs> no, I've only listen. I've only been there once. My my race, my percentage for having things stolen in Philly is one hundred percent. It's a guarantee, buddy. <laughs> yeah, but high one hundred percent crime rate up there. In Philly. Yeah, emotional damage. Uh, yeah, what is that from? <laughs> I don't know, Matthew. You know you're the name the I'm mo- talking about? The, no, emotional damage. I'm gonna have to look that up. It's a meme from some movie or show. Uh, yeah, so that's what's what we're looking out for. Um, well, as always, I'm Matthew. I'm Brady. And this has been The, the Discussion, Discussion Phase. Thank you for tuning in to The Discussion Phase. If you enjoyed our content and like to hear more, make sure to tune back every week for new episodes. You can follow us on Instagram at the discussion phase for new posts and reviews of recent plays and reviews. You can also join us on discord in the description below and let us know what you think of all these weekly topics. What are you playing? What are you interested in? Or let us know what you think differently. So as always, (laughs) Brady, you got to stop dancing in front of me. (laughs) All right, folks, we're out. Thanks everybody. Brady, you're just over there shaking your booty. <laughs> Listen, I saw you get some moves in on the dance floor at John's wedding the other night. Yeah. I was like, Tara's a lucky lady. Yeah, with those moves.